You're listening to Insights with Philip Wilson, where the discussion focuses on how to maximize Social Security benefits. Considering there are 567 ways to file and 3,000 rules for filing, it's no wonder that 90% of those who file for Social Security do not receive their maximum benefits. Listen in as Philip Wilson, who is certified in Social Security claiming strategies, outlines what you need to know to get the most from your Social Security benefits. Welcome to the show. Today we're going to wrap up our discussion of college, ways that we can reduce the cost of college for our children, ways the parents can save a little bit of money by using the resources that are out there for financial aid. Uh, and today I just kind of want to wrap up with um, a general talk about assets, but first I want to cover probably the most common area of questions that I receive in the classes and the seminars that I teach on the subject. And that is, you know, who files the FAFSA applications? Who files for these things? And generally this is a question that's coming up because there's been a divorce and there's maybe been a remarriage. So who files for that? So let me just cover this very quickly. Um, There's a financial aid term that we use called custodial, custodial parent. And the custodial parent in the financial aid world is the person that actually files the FAFSA. They're the person that actually goes to the website, inputs their information, uh, their assets, and so forth, and the qualification is done through the expected family contribution. So this is an important issue because um, this is something that can work against you or for you. Because quite often in a divorce situation, especially when there's remarriage, there's an awful lot of questions about whether or not it should be the stepfather or the ex. Who is the one that provides that? And that could work for you, and that could work against you, depending on their financial situation. But so what determines the custodial parent? You know, what determines who files the paperwork? Well, first of all, the word custodial does not mean custody. There is a relationship in answering this question for parents when it comes to custody, but it doesn't mean the same thing. It doesn't mean who has legal custody. It does not mean who is the dependent. A lot of people think whoever files for the dependent on their tax return uh, is going to be the one who actually files the financial aid forms. That is not the case. Um, There's one question that's asked in these types of situations, these situations to determine who files for the application. And that is, where did the student live the most the last 12 months. Where did the student live the most the last 12 months? Now that is what's going to dictate whether or not it's a step parent or a natural parent. And in the last 12 months, this is the 12-month period beginning and ending from the application date that you fill out the FAFSA, not a calendar year. So in the previous 12 months, where did the child live the most? If that child lived with the mom and the stepfather, they're the ones that fill out the application. Now, there's a second question that's involved here, and that would be in the situation that a child did not live with more than one parent than the other. Most of the time, even in joint custody situation, they're going to live most of the time uh, with the mom. But then the second question answers what is a support question, and this comes back to the dependent. So if you're not able to answer the question of where the student lived the most in the last 12 months, then you have to go to a tiebreaker question, which is who provided the most support in the past 12 months. 
And this does relate to uh, how we file for, uh, how we claim someone is a dependent on the tax return. So we, we first go and see where the child's lived the most, the most of the time in the last 12 months. If that is more of a 50-50 situation, then we can go to who provided the most support in the last 12 months. Whoever that is answered is who files the FAFSA. That is probably the most common uh, question that I receive from parents, not knowing what to do. And it could be something that works for you, could be something that works against you. But quite often, uh, this is going to mean that a stepfather and a mom are going to report their income and assets. Now, it might be favorable. It might not be favorable for you to do that. But custodial parent means the parent who is responsible for filing. It doesn't mean custody. It means who they're responsible, who is responsible for filing. So it really comes down to who, where the student lives the most in the last 12 months. Now, just as a side note, another question that I receive uh, is also related to the educational uh, credits that are out there. Uh, people get confused between the financial aid rules and the IRS rules for filing our taxes. And I, I alluded to that before as far as what a dependent. Um, a custodial parent is not the parent that files for the dependent. Um, whether or not you can or cannot file for a dependent on your tax return has nothing to do with the rule. Very similarly, whoever files for the educational credit for the child may or may not be the non-custodial custodial parent. doesn't have anything to do with that. Um, quite often, um, most people are aware of the HOPE credit and the various uh, student credits that are out there that you can take off your taxes. That has no bearing on the situation of who files the financial aid application. So you might have one parent who's claiming independent and filing for a credit even though someone else is actually paying for college. And those things might, might matter to the IRS as far as whether you take these credits or not, but it doesn't make any difference to the financial aid rules and the FAFSA process. So I just want to get that out of the way very quickly. And for the remainder of the time, I want to focus on really the most important part of this series, and that is ways that we can, we can, we can increase our financial aid, ways that we can receive um, better situations. And we've, we've gone through all these different rules as far as uh, treatment of our income and assets, but I want to go further from that and talk about ways that we can plan ways that we can rearrange our assets, ways that we can reduce the cost of college because we increase the cost of our aid. Um, now, I teach a class on all this, and I call it by a lot of different things. And one thing I call it by is, one way I describe it is by reducing, uh, I tell people that I can help them reduce the cost of college by 50%. And the way that I can do that is by rearranging their assets uh, that will allow them to take advantage of the financial aid rules, what types of assets and income are counted versus what types of assets or income that are not counted, um, and maximize that process. It's no different than when we fill out our tax return. We want to take full advantage of the tax laws. We don't want to pay any more taxes that we're legally obligated to. Same kind of thing here. 
So let's talk about these different uh, rules as they relate to specific income and assets. And the first thing that we need to talk about is what we call the base year. And the base year is the financial aid timeline. And it's the timeline for when financial events happen, it goes into the eligibility for the FAFSA. And in, the, in past years, um, the base year began the junior year, uh, January 1st of your child's junior year, and went through 1231 of the senior year. And that was the financial aid timeline. That was the timeline of any kind of financial event, whether it was income, uh, anything that happened during that time period would go into the financial aid uh, FASO application. So now, recently they changed that. They actually went back two years on income. And I made, a, I made the statement in one of the previous weeks that you needed to look at the financial aid process starting on October the 1st. And this is where this change comes in. Because now they're looking back two years. So now the base year involves the sophomore year, January, January 1st of a child's sophomore year through 1231 in their senior year. And they're primarily looking at income during that time period. That's a change. And that's why they're allowing people to file the application on October the 1st, as opposed to waiting until the end of the year for taxes to be done. Now, there's about three areas that I want to point out before the break, um, some areas that people make some decisions in that creates a, a problem for the base year. And the first area is that is what happens when we sell assets. And the typical scenario that I run into are people that have been saving money for college their child's entire life. They set up a college fund when they were young. They put it, maybe put it in an index fund or a mutual fund or something that's grown over the years. And as the child gets into high school and as they get closer to college, they begin to sell those assets, uh, which is a very smart move. In fact, one of the biggest mistakes that parents make with their college savings is not doing that. They don't reduce the amount of risk, uh, reduce the volatility associated with their investments for their child for college, and they run the risk of a 2008 type event where the market corrects. So as we all get closer, as our children get closer to college, we need to liquidate these funds, make them available, uh, remove the risk and so forth. So it's a very smart idea. The problem is that when you do that, you're going to pay capital gains. So if you've invested this money over a long period of time, you're typically going to have pretty large capital gains. Well, that a capital gain is treated as income. That income goes into the, if it happens during the base year, which is pretty much when the child is in high school, um, it's going to go in and decrease your eligibility for financial aid. And then the second situation that we run into is where someone sells their house. Very similar situation. Um, there's been a lot of tinkering with the taxes associated with your primary residence over the years. And, and currently, when you sell a house above certain thresholds of gain, you will pay taxes. So often, quite often, I see someone um, kind of in a downsizing phase, kind of getting ready for the children to go off to college, the empty nest is around the corner. They're thinking they want to get rid of the uh, expensive house uh, with a lot of upkeep and um, they don't need the school system anymore. They want to get rid of the property taxes and so forth. It's a, 
it's a very smart move. Um, downsizing, getting ready for retirement, very, very smart move. The problem is when you sell your home, if you have a large gain, you're going to absolutely wipe out your eligibility for financial aid. And a lot of people looking at these types of situations have been living in a home, raised their children, gone through their entire life. They have a lot of equity in their home, a lot of gain in their home, and they just need to be careful about doing this. I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that you have to be careful about selling any kind of asset during the base year. So, because it will make you ineligible for financial aid. It will decrease the amount of financial aid that you can receive. And then the third area that I want to cover very quickly before the break um, that I get into a lot is, is when grandparents are involved. You know, I love grandparents. Most of us wouldn't be able to make it without grandparents. Um, they're an awful lot of help as we speak. Uh, my grand grandmother, one grandmother, has taken our dog to the vet um, while I'm recording this show, and I, and I desperately need grandparents. And a lot of parents are very much dependent upon grandparents to help financially, which is great. You know, a lot of grandparents want to help out with college. The problem is, according to the financial aid rules, when a grandparent gives money to a child, it's what we call a resource. It's considered a resource, and a resource decreases financial aid. So you may remember in previous weeks when we were talking about the, uh, the student wanting to go to Auburn. Um, if there was a child, if there was a financial need of $5,000 going to Auburn, and a grandparent gave that child $5,000, they now have no financial need. So this is a situation that grandparents can actually backfire by giving resources to the student. So you have to be very careful about grandparents being involved, how they help, the way they help, and we'll continue the discussion when we come back from break because I'm running out of time and I just want you to understand the, way that, the best way that grandparents can help the grandkids. Social Security benefits are a key part of planning for retirement. Many people believe they simply apply and the only decision to make is at what age to begin benefits. With 567 ways to file and 3,000 different rules to follow, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, it is estimated that 90% of those who file for Social Security do not receive their maximum benefit. Learn more about how Social Security benefits are calculated and better understand how to maximize your benefits by attending one of Philip Wilson's Social Security workshops. If you're in the Pelham area, you can attend on October 16th or 25th at 6 p.m. or on October 29th at 11 a.m. The workshop is free, but since space is limited, you do need to reserve your seat. Register to attend online at ssmistakes.com or by calling Philip at 